0: guys welcome to the j scott outdoors podcast i've gotten some feedback from the episode 80 of the arizona archery oak season recap and some of the feedback was that people thought that uh, we did not have a good hunt and i would just like to speak to that for a second um hopefully in these recap episodes you understand and realize that just coming off of those elk seasons, uh, you know, all of the recap and the emotions are raw. And there are some things that uh, are discussed in the episodes that are just right off the cuff and just uh, exactly how uh, I feel or I felt at the time. And so, um, you know, we we had an incredible time, uh, 30 days of elk hunting in Arizona. Uh, can't get much better than that. Uh, Some of the things we talk about in the episode with some of the human interference and such, I got some feedback on that and all I have to say is I think as sportsmen we just have to watch how we treat other people out in the field and it seems as this season was a uh, highlight or it brought to light a lot of things that uh, you know, it kind of all came to a head. And I just think it's important as these, uh, coos deer hunts are about to kick off in Arizona and some of these mule deer hunts and, and, and what have you, uh, late season elk hunts. Um, you know, guys, there's more to it than killing a big animal. Um, if that's all you're in it for, then, you know, the reality is probably just turn the podcast off and, and, and don't listen anymore because there's way more to hunting than inches. Uh, and even though I'm a big proponent of, uh, being accurate and being able to field judge, you know, correctly and accurately and be able to, uh, you know, know what you're looking at and be able to score once the animal's on the ground, that's all great. Um, but guys in, in my mind, It seems the older I get the the more important things are spending time in God's creation, spending time with your family and friends, uh, getting an animal down and getting meat on the table to feed your family throughout the whole year. And um, you can't eat those antlers, you can't eat those horns, and um, I, I think all of us need to take a little bit of a time and reflect on what is important and I saw something yesterday that I thought was pretty cool. One of my friends uh, on Facebook said something about uh, he made a point this year he was going to make hunting fun again. And um, I can relate to that. I think it's important that we all remember why we're doing this. And everybody wants to kill big stuff. And don't get me wrong. I will continue to pursue uh, trophy animals and I will continue to push myself and do the best I can in the field and try and be as selective as I can and find the largest animals for my clients and and myself when I have a tag. But let's all keep it in perspective. I know I have to keep it in perspective. Uh, Many, many times I have to ground check myself and realize uh, why I'm out there. So um, just wanted to touch on that. I've also gotten some emails about um, the coos deer season in Arizona's is uh, coming up here real quick, uh, the October hunts. And I've gotten some questions about tips on the October hunts. And one thing I would say is uh, in Arizona, uh, we still have warm temperatures. And those coos deer in October are typically going to be uh, seeking shade as quickly as possible. And you know, if, if we if we get some storms that come in and, and, and it rains and get some cooler weather, they'll be out and feeding a little bit more. But what Dar and I have noticed on uh early season coos hunts is they're gonna be on those north northeast facing slopes a lot of the time. They are gonna be in areas where they can get good solid shade. Um and they they're gonna be in the canopy where where, where they've got the shade the most. Now one of the things about a year like, like this year is there's quite a bit of feed uh, and water, for that matter, all over. And so they don't have to travel as much from their bedding area to where they're going to feed. And sometimes they're up and feeding right where they're bedding. If, if you coos deer hunters out there are listening, how many times have you seen them get up out of their bed and stand for 30 minutes and feed within maybe a, a 5 to 10 yard circle and then lay back down so i think it's important that you need to spend a lot of time behind your binoculars i think that's obvious but um, one of the most important times in my mind especially when it's warm out is between 10 and 2 and so i had someone ask me why is that between 10 and 2 Um, and and the answer is it's so warm that and 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 the sun is moving a great distance uh, throughout the day, so they bed down. And two hours later, that where they're laying is completely in the sun. So what do they do most of the time? They get up, and a lot of times they get up, they shift around, and they they lay back down. But I've seen them a lot of times where they'll stand up and for you know five minutes. They'll stretch. Um, they'll they'll go to the bathroom, and then they'll kind of feed around and then shift back and, and bed back down. A lot of times between 10 and 2, you can catch bucks, especially, um, up changing positions. So make sure you're glassing between 10 and 2. Um, also, you know, those October hunts are not very long. So get out there early. Get you know Stay late. Get out there early. Get your headlamps. Um, stay in there, deep in there. Uh, and, and catch every last bit of light that you can. Um, you know, we wait all year for these tags, and um, it would just be too bad if you give up five minutes early and you're walking out, and your buck that you were after that you didn't see all day all of a sudden stands up. So, um, focus on those north and northeast facing uh, slopes, focus on the thick canopy, uh, and I uh, uh, hopefully that will help you out. Um, the other, the nice thing about October and November, for that matter, early season hunts is uh, a lot of times they'll be bedded with you know three, four, five bucks in a group. So if you're seeing a couple little bucks, keep your eye out because a lot of times those big bucks, um, you know, are are just laying a little bit longer than the smaller bucks. So. Uh, guys, I want to thank you for your support of my podcast. It's, uh, it's, it's humbling and completely overwhelming uh, how many of you are listening. And, and I just want to thank you so much for your support. And I get emails and Facebook messages and Instagram messages every day with people with questions and people with comments. And I appreciate that so much and appreciate the support. And um, I, I want to thank my sponsors, uh, GoHunt.com and um deadeyeoutfitters.com uh their support has been so strong and um i wanted to remind you guys that uh gohunt.com insiders october giveaway is a coos deer hunt with dar colburn and i in sonora mexico and uh we will be going down on january 7th traveling down and we will be hunting for seven full days. Uh, if we get in early enough, we'll hunt that uh, that afternoon of the 7th. We're going to hunt uh, the 8th through the 14th, seven full days. Uh, the deer should be rutting. It should be a fantastic time. We've got some great uh, ranches uh, leased and um, great properties. Um, and, you know, there's about a two, three week period there where the deer are really rutting. And th- this is kind of on the front end of the rut. And some of the biggest buck bucks we've taken over the years have been on 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 this hunt and and then the second hunt is is a primarily uh you know lots of movement and lots of rutting um but but i would rather be right on the front end of the rut and then right into the peak of the rut and so this hunt that gohunt.com insider is giving away is uh they're giving away two spots and, um, all you have to do is be an insider member to win. Now keep in mind, uh, the, uh, gohunt.com insider has already given away a doll sheep hunt, mule deer hunts, antelope hunts, uh, uh, and all kinds of gear, uh, Sunto watches and, um, just all kinds of things. Every month they have giveaways and I'm going to be doing an episode here pretty quick with, uh, uh, guy that won the uh, doll sheep hunt. Um, and, you know, that's a $22,000 hunt that GoHunt.com is given away just for being an insider member. So, I mean, your odds um, on some of these uh, giveaways are, are outstanding. Um, so this is a $5,500 value. Lorenzo, I mean, this isn't one of these buddy deals where, you know, they paid half price per hunt. And this is a, they paid full boat $5,500 plus $1,000 of travel money. So it's, you know, a $6,500 value. And, um, you know, if you haven't hunted coos deer during the rut, it's just a complete hoot. It's just funner than anything. And um, hunting any animal during the rut is awesome. So um, go to GoHunt.com uh, to see the details uh, of the giveaway. Um, but you know, basically you have until the end of October and you can go on the website to check the exact dates of the giveaway, um, to become an insider member and, uh, all the insider, uh, members will have a chance, uh, one chance to win the hunt. They're going to give away two of them. And, uh, Lorenzo is also going to be on the hunt. So, um, it's going to be a, going to be an awesome time. Go to Go Hunt. Dot com uh, forward slash insider click on the blue join now button if you're not an insider member make sure to use the J. Scott promo code and you will actually get a $50 Kuyu gift card and when you sign up to be an insider uh, member and um, guys uh, I also I just want to thank you guys again uh, for all your support Uh, we're on the road here to a million downloads. And to me, that's just, uh, it's almost unthinkable. And uh, so let's get right to the episode. This is part two recap uh, with uh, Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. And uh, I want to thank Chris again for being on the podcast. And uh, guys, we're right in the middle of our fall season here. Let's uh, give it 110%. And uh, let's be courteous to our Uh, fellow hunters our fellow sportsmen and um, you know think think of what you're doing out there and think of how is it impacting your fellow hunter and and uh, let's try and be as courteous as we can so let's get right to the episode welcome to the j scott outdoors podcast today we've got part two of chris and i's uh, chris Rowe row hunting resources Uh, and I's conversation about the 2015 Arizona elk season a little bit of a recap and we left off with uh, talking about trail cameras and I have a lot of uh, dear friends that ran trail cameras uh, for this season and and I want to be clear that I'm not pointing fingers at anyone that runs trail cameras I'm just looking at it from more of a, a broader spectrum of you know, how far are we going to take this guys? Um, and you know, like we talked about in the last episode, when you pull up to a trick tank and there's, you know, eight to 12 cameras on the fence post on the wire and you realize that everybody's, you know, they're going to check those probably every other day. So you add eight to 10 people on a different schedule, checking those cameras You've got complete interference with that area. So driving in, driving out, driving in, driving out, driving in, driving out. And, and I say that over and over and over just to drive home the point that, you know, what we've done with these trail cameras and, you know, the same things to be said on the Arizona Strip. You know, I, I, I'm i going to be going up there this year with, with Sun and every one of these water catchments has, you know, eight to 15 cameras on it and what we do is we we i think we cause a lot of these animals to be nocturnal i think we cause a lot of these animals to be very shy to coming into water and then the next part of me says well golly you know arizona's arid as it is let them go get a drink of water that's part of being alive and living in it you know, I don't want to sound like I'm on my soapbox, but I think this year more than ever, it kind of drove home to me that as humans, how far have we taken this? We, we went from wanting to gather a little intel and a little information to, you know, fighting over this stuff. And, you know, it, it seems as though we've gone too far. One thing I thought of is why can't the Game and Fish or why can't a private individual – Say, I'm going to put a trail camera up on every single water source. I'm going to charge a membership fee, and everybody has the same data so that we don't have to go into those spots and check them and check them and check them and check them. And basically what ends up happening is you end up ruining that water hole. You end up ruining that wallow. You end up ruining that trick take for anybody that wants to sit it during daylight hours and hunt it. And you get fights, you get guys sitting in a blind, you get other guys saying, you're sitting in my blind, or didn't you see my tree stand? And part of me says, golly, maybe we should just go back to, to you know, glassing them up, listening to them, you know, spot and stalk and, and trying to find them the old-fashioned way. Is, is trying to kill an animal that's big that important that you have to interfere with everybody else's hunt?
1: Well, what do you think it, Chris I mean
0: I, I mean and and
1: and that's where I agree I will agree with you, but then I'll disagree with you a little bit. I, I don't mind the fact, you know, and I know you just brainstormed that or probably just brainstormed that suggestion, but can you imagine if, say for instance, yeah, a neutral third party published the pictures off of a game camera And can you imagine? the first night a 400-inch bull shows up at a waterhole the next morning, there's going to be 25 guys there all at the same time. You want to talk about fights? Oh my God. But
0: there is anyway. I well, mean, that's, I, I know. that's what we've come to anyway. It's like, and, and you that's, know...
1: And I guess that's where I... that I, I don't mind. I really don't mind the fact that there's there's 15 game cameras on the waterhole. My issue is how people go about utilizing them because what they don't realize is you don't, and and I know, and this is another controversy, but you know, whether or not elk react to the sound of a vehicle versus react to the, the sound of you walking or the scent of you, whatever. If you're going to drive in to a water hole, that bull in, in Arizona, at least in this area, most of the time, most of the water holes, are not where the bulls are betting. They're going to be betting off a little ways from that water source. But if you're running a side by side, or you're running a four by uh, four wheeler, or you're taking your truck, you can hear that from a long distance away. Whereas if you're just sneaking in on foot, you're not going to hear that. And so I think how these guys are checking the water, their game cameras, is what is actually hurting them and, and making it more difficult for them to actually capitalize on what they see in the game camera. Because every, eighteen guys go, you know, or 18, eight guys going in to check eight different cameras on their four-wheeler or side-by-side, brrr, going in there, that bull all day long is going to hear brrr, down at the water source. So no, he's not going to come in until it's almost dark. Whereas if they would just park maybe a hundred or two hundred yards or mo- maybe a quarter mile from the water source, put the you know and sneak in on foot, quiet as a mouse, go in, check the car, turn around, and just sneak out. That bull never hears anything. He doesn't know any better. Now, obviously, if the wind is wrong and, and you're going in there and, and your scent is going around, but just by sound alone if people were going in and sneaking in checking it sneaking back out a that would do wonders but people don't people are lazy they're going to drive their four-wheeler in cuz the argument is well that you know the elk are used to hearing vehicles no they're yes they are used to hearing vehicles they are not used to hearing 18 million vehicles all day long for 3 weeks yeah you're going to hear vehicles in the summer occasionally here and there here and there but come season the the amount of vehicle traffic just goes through the roof exponentially and it's all summer long. You don't have 18 vehicles going to the stock tank. They're running the main roads. They elk it used to a predictable pattern of travel on the main roads where people are going from point A to point B, not into these little back, you know, hidden areas and dead end roads and these little out of the way places. So if people would just change how they check these cameras and when, do, And again, I'm I'm telling you, and I I don't know who it was, and I'm not trying, again, I'm not throwing stones at anybody in particular because I don't know who they are. But to me, it seemed like there were actual people in there that were not hunting, that were purposely going into water sources during prime time hours, or they're driving down through feeding areas, they're driving through valleys, or they're going through these areas in prime time hours. Hours, you know darn well that you're disturbing those elk, but you don't have a hunter in there. Well, there might be someone else hunting there. So, yeah, I, I think that I think it did really get into a situation of combat hunting where, as long as I get mine, I don't care what I do. But the problem is, is what I think people don't realize is, say I'm I'm a I'm not even an alpha, say I'm, a, I'm I'm a person that has a tag and I have. Five of my buddies come down to help me and throughout my hunt, my five buddies go out and they do all these game cameras. Well, if someone finds, if one of my buddies finds a good elk on one of these, in one of these areas, if my buddy for the past week has been in there disturbing things eight ways from Sunday, when I do find that animal, me going in there to try to get that animal is going to be so much more tough, more difficult. I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. Yes, you you ran a game camera. You know what animal's there, but now you just made it ten times harder to kill that animal.
0: Yeah, and and I think I I think what I think with all that being said, with the Grand Canyon National Park on the north boundary of Unit Nine, I think Moni's uh, top twenty five list that alone is an exact example of human interference, human pressure causes animals to change their pattern. They're already changing their pattern also because of, of moving after they go hard horned. But I would bet that if we collared a bunch of those bulls that Monty was looking at, a bunch of them would be on the park. Why? Because they don't get interfered with in the park. They've got sanctuary area where they don't get, you know, there's not every Tom, Dick and Harry chasing them.
1: Well, and, and, I would say we don't even have to collar them because that's why I stayed extra days after the season ended. Now, I, you know, that's that was the thing that for me kind of was a bummer. I I needed to get back here and get ready for whitetail season in, in Kansas. We've got hunters coming in, and so I've got to get tree stands up, and I've got to find bucks and blah, blah, blah. So I had to leave. I had to get back here to start getting prepared for, for my whitetail stuff. But uh, the season ended. What, what was the day the season ended?
0: Uh, October 1st.
1: Okay, there you go. October 1st. So, I stayed, uh, what, four or five days? Uh, yeah, something. Uh, anyway, I just got back. So, I stayed uh, a bunch of days after the season closed. And I'll tell you, you're absolutely right. You know, we you know, a lot of people spent some time, especially those last several days, up along the, the boundary of that park, trying to see, you know, just hearing what bulls are up there and, and find out what activities up there. And, yeah. Most of the bull, most of this elk were bedding up in the national park. And when the, when the national park had moisture, had water, they never left it. It wasn't until the last several days of season when everything really started drying out. I think the water started drying up in the park, which made elk leave at night to come out into the, into the, into the national forest, into the public land, go get water. But again, by the next morning, they were already in the park where we can't go by by shooting light. Well, I can tell you, I spent those next several mornings and evenings up along that park boundary because I did specifically say, and I told you this, I want to see how fast things change. For instance, one thing that I've seen with whitetails here in Kansas is if you go in and you significantly disturb a, an area, say you know you have a whitetail buck and a group of does usually, utilizing a certain area. If you go in and significantly disturb it, and then you you remove yourself from that disturbance, if those animals leave, if it's a good area and that they want to come back, it usually takes about three to five days for that those animals to come back, to get into a cycle, and, and actually be there. So three to five days, you disturb it, they're going to leave. It's not for another three to five days before they're going to come back and you have another opportunity at them. I wanted to see with the elk, okay, we've had this disturbance. We know that a, just a pile of animals went into the park where they can't be chased, where they had sanctuary. They had food, cover, and water. There was no need for them to leave. How long does it take for them to move? Now, granted, we had it's, the park part started to dry up, and so they had to leave and come down into the National Forest to get water. The question I had was, are they going to go back to the park and bed? Or are they going to stay in the National Forest Park? Because there's great bedding area all through that country. Well, it did not take three days. Within a day, boom, we had elk bugling behind camp. Right on the main high main road that had all the camps, within a day, all those camps were gone. And that night, elk started bugling. The next day, they were really bugling. And literally within the... the I mean, almost immediately, once the pressure was released, those animals started coming out of the park and they didn't go back to the park. I, I found elk all over that northern end and elk, they, they just didn't go back to the park. They stayed. So
0: you could Yeah, and they're probably rutting like crazy right now because nobody's bothering. Well,
1: and that's, I mean, exactly. I mean, but, but now they can go back to being relaxed and being in places where people could actually chase them. You know, that to me told me this was not a population dynamic issue. It wasn't an age class issue. It wasn't a, a sex ratio issue. This was a pressure issue. Yes, this area has a bunch of roads. Yes, the elk are used to do people traveling the roads. But what they're not used to is all the excessive pressure in all these little out of the way places constantly. And it just simply pushed them into the national park or into the reservation or wherever, push them into those places where we can't go as public land hunters. We can't go there, but literally as soon as the pressure was off, boom, they bailed right back out.
0: You know, one of the things that I would, you know, people will just hate this comment, but I don't really (laughs) care. Um, I, I would be all for if they said, if the Game and Fish said, okay. Well they've tried to do travel management plans and road closures and blah, blah blah that doesn't work. okay but if they said the main roads so like in unit 9 like the 302, the 307 you know the 688, the main like gravel cinder you know like maintained forest service roads were open any other two track that's not a maintained road I would I would love it. And and I would love it probably across this state if they just said those are the only roads that are open. If you're caught not on those roads, you're going to get a ticket. Yeah, it, but And if you see your fellow hunter on those roads, you can turn them in. And, you know, people are going to send me hate mail and all that. But what what is wrong with walking in a mile and a half to some of these areas – And having elk where you can enjoy them, instead of having in unit nine, every half mile, there's a two track. So you walk a mile, you cross two two tracks where people drive quads or side by sides. And these animals get just pressured out the wazoo. And, you know, it, it just goes to show man, you know, us humans. Overdo everything. Everything we do, we overdo. We 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 think we're doing ourselves a favor by putting in all these roads and all these two trackers, and we're really just, you know, ultimately screwing up the hunt for everybody else. Uh, I, Chris, I want to shift gears, and I got to tell you about uh, Vince and I's opening morning and and what I witnessed. And I don't tell this story other than just to bring a little bit of light and kind of laugh and chuckle about what we saw and and i'm sure you have a few experiences too in arizona and other states so opening morning of archery elk season vince my hunter and i we set off early to go to an area where i had seen a pretty good bull before the season we parked back about three quarters of a mile and we walked in the dark no headlamps walked in the dark And got to the meadow, so to speak, the area where I had seen a good bull in in my scouting. And we're sitting there and the elk had kind of bugled a few times and a truck pulls up. This is no joke. There's a road that we can see maybe 250 yards, 200 yards away. The truck pulls up. Does not turn off his headlights, does not turn off the truck, and is standing on the brake. So it's pitch black dark, you've got red lights out the back, you've got the headlights out the front, and the truck is running. Rolls down the window, sticks the bugle out, and goes, doodly, Listens for maybe a 10 count, nothing, sticks the cow call out. listens for maybe a five count. Brake comes off, red lights go off, boom, boom, driving down the road. And Vince looks at me and he says, did that just happen? I said, oh yeah, welcome to Arizona. Not more than two minutes goes by. A side-by-side four-seater ranger or something of that matter pulls up on the same road and literally stops in the same spot does turn the machine off. The headlights are still on. He's standing on the brakes so the red lights are flashed, you know, shining. And hits a Fox Pro. Diddley, diddley. Nothing answers. Then proceeds to the Fox Pro cow call.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Nothing answers. Starts the machine up, drives off. That happened all within a matter of five minutes. We sat there in the dark listening. About two or three minutes later, the bulls started bugling. And Vince was just like, I can't believe that just happened. And I said, you know, that we if we should have videotaped that. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. The guy is bugling out of the truck and the truck's on. Yeah. Then the, the side-by-side pulls in and the lights are still on and he's bugling, uh, you know, we're just training these elk to go, Oh, the, the, the Calvary is here. Yeah. You know, let's shut up. And it's like, come on guys. Yeah. It, and I, and this
1: again, I know, I don't even know if I should even say anything because I'm, I, <laughs> well, the, the problem is, is obviously my entire website is to help people learn how to, to be better at elk calling and elk hunting. So obviously it sounds self-serving if I complain and say their resources are out there. You, I mean, if if someone wants to, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I saw the same thing, man. It just, it, I don't know if people expect Unit Nine to be or, or Arizona to be different. You know, there is. I, I will say there's there is the stigma, not stigma, maybe. I don't know, maybe just expectation that, oh, Arizona is stupid. Oh, my gosh, there's so many bulls, and they're screaming, and they're everywhere. Oh, man, you can just drive down the road, and they're bugling. Okay, yeah, that might be the case. And I and I can say that might have been the case in the past. I don't know. We'll see, because you and I talked about how many tags they've given out in Unit 9 these past several years and in kind of the difference in management philosophy that Arizona has for it, but... That may have been the case in the past, but just because, okay, this is the other thing, too, that people need to realize. Just because you heard a bull bugle from the truck on the road, number number one, does not mean that, A, that was a good bull, big bull, and number two, does not mean that once you turn the truck off and you go after him, that oh you're gonna be able to get on him and kill him. He, that bull number one we've said this I, we've said this how many times I've said it and I've got video footage and you saw it this year. Well how many times did Vince and his hunter and his buddies say this where you heard a bull and it sounded like just this little squeal oh that sounds like a small bull I don't want to go after it and then it turns out that's a 360 bull or vice versa you hear this bull and just. Uh, just this huge growly roar and you get in there and it's a five by five. So you cannot necessarily tell the size of a bull by his bugle. So if you, if you're parked on the road and you stick your bugle out the window and you bugle and all of a sudden a bull responds, a, it, you don't know if that's a a mature bull or a young bull. It could be just a young ignorant bull. That's like, ha ha. Yeah, I'll respond to you. Okay. Number one, number two, Sometimes the reason why the bull bugled is because his cows are leaving. The cows are like, uh-oh, it's time to go. We need to get out of here. And the cows start going. The bull is like, uh-oh, where are my ladies going? Mow! He's going to scream after his bu- after his ladies because he's wanting to keep up with them. He wants to let everybody know where he's going, and he's going to be following those girls. But by the time you, turn, you park your truck, you turn it off, you get all your stuff ready, you get your gear all lined up, that bull is headed out, not because the bull is doing anything, but because those cows are saying, we are out of here. We're done. We're gone. Bye-bye. And now you're on a chase for the next mile, two miles of over hill, over dale, trying to keep up with them. When if you would just turn the truck off down the valley a little bit, or even if you just stop there, turn the truck off, go, just go dark. Just turn it off, turn the lights off, and then just sit and don't say a word. Turn it off, shut up. And then let things settle down. Boom. There's like you said, okay, several minutes later, boom, a bull bugle's over here. Okay, there's one. Oh, there's another bull bugle. Oh, there's another one over there. Okay, there's another one. Okay, oh, I can hear some hoof tracks in the in you know, going through the rocks and the sagebrush. All right. You let things to settle down, just sit silently. You will hear things start talking without as much disturbance and it just again it goes to how you do things not that you are doing things
0: so chris absolutely let's take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors guys gohunt.com insider is the title sponsor of this podcast get everything you need in one spot join insider today Find and plan your hunts more effectively than ever. Complete state coverage. See detailed information for every unit, every species, every hunt. Interactive maps. Quickly find hunts that meet your exact search criteria and explore them easily. Strategy articles. Learn new things and find hidden opportunities with exclusive articles. Species breakdowns. Top trophy units are hiding in plain sight. Find them, with our statistics and historical data. Another great thing about GoHunt.com Insider is they have monthly giveaways that are worth $100,000 plus a year. Each month you will automatically be entered to win gear tags and hunts, that is if you're an Insider member. Past prizes include a $22,000 doll sheep hunt, uh, three Red Rock precision rifles with the $21,000 value, Uh, Five Zeiss Conquest HD binoculars with a $7,500 value. Not to mention this past July they gave away four hunts. An antelope hunt, two elk hunts, and a mule deer hunt. Join Insider today and get a $50 Kuyu gift card. All you have to do is go to GoHunt.com forward slash Insider, click on the blue Join Now button, use the promo code JSCOTT at checkout and gohunt.com will send you a $50 Kuyu gift card. I want to thank gohunt.com insider for being the title sponsor of this podcast. Yeah, I mean Chris, I, I hear what you're saying and I don't want my listeners out there thinking that you know, I'm some grouchy grouch that's, you know, picking on everybody. Uh, but I I just want to bring shed some light on things that we witnessed and observed. Uh, and, and I got to say those two instances of the opening morning, you know what my bet is, I bet you those two vehicles, my bet is they weren't even hunter. They weren't even actually the people with tags. Probably right.
1: Probably right. They my, have-
0: my bet is that they were the helpers, yes. the scouters that are just out and their buddy says, drive down this road and try and locate bugles. Yeah. Well, geez, guys, ah, uh, bugling out of a truck that is still on. It, what does that serve other than you hear three bulls bugle out the window? Your truck's on. You can't tell what you just know. Up, oh, I marked three bulls down, and off I go. It's like, I mean, well,
1: and and and, to, and again, and I and I'm I'm glad you made that clarify or, I guess, reiterated that. I I'm not trying to complain or, uh, well, complain. Just I'm not trying to complain because I'm upset with anything. I just, I feel, I feel sad and I feel, uh, you know.
0: Embarrassed.
1: I, well, yeah, but my, my issue with it is, guys, you can do it better and see more success. I want people to be successful. I want, I want to see, I rather than seeing, you know, how many tags were in unit one, or excuse me, unit nine, a hundred? hundred. Okay. Yeah. I would rather,
0: you
1: know, I would rather see 50 good bulls come out of unit nine and 50 of those hunters be successful rather than 20 or whatever it was, you know, uh, uh, you know, I I would rather see more people be successful. So me, you know, us talking about this is not just a complaint. It's just saying it can be done better and you will have, you should, and you probably will see better results and better uh, success out of it. But then I will go back to what you were just talking about and say and, and reiterate what I was saying earlier about the combat or in the in part one about the combat hunting. I bet you you're right. They're probably just assistants. But more importantly, they drove by your truck and saw your truck parked there. They knew that someone was in there hunting,
0: but they didn't well, they I, didn't care. I, and I was going to say a couple times, you know. I like to go and I like to go early and I like to go places and I like to stop and sit in the truck, total blackout listening to bull's bugle. The other thing I like to do is get out of the truck, get up on a little high point and listen to bull's bugle and, and try and make a plan for that, for that morning had multiple instances where in there first in a, in a Valley, in a drainage in the spot and come back to the truck after the morning hunt and there'd be a vehicle, you know, 75 yards 100 yards 50 yards just past mine yep so in other words someone is coming you know someone comes in oh there's a truck there oh i'm not going to keep going i'm going to park 50 yards and this is where i'm going this is my spot yeah and you know i had a lot of circumstances where i pull in maybe someone's there i go to another spot yeah Maybe it's the fact that they don't know the unit well enough that that, that they don't know where to go. And it's like, oh, no, it's getting light. What am I going to do? And I can understand that. But, guys, come on. If a truck is in the spot, you don't go 50 yards or 100 yards past them and park, period. You do not do that. Yeah, no. And I saw it. My cousin had it happen to him. And it happens over and over and over. And, honestly, is it the fact that, A, people don't know that you don't do that? B, they don't care or C, they're just going to hunt there right over the top of you, whether you like it or not. And they figure, well, I'll pressure them and that guy will leave, you know, and it's like, how bad does somebody want to kill something? So does it, I mean, how far has man gone that you want to kill something so bad that you're willing to just screw up somebody else's hunt?
1: Oh, <laughs> I guess maybe I'm cynical, but like bad, like far. I, I think, I mean, I've seen it. Um, and I've talked to other people about it. You know, I I really think nowadays with social media, it is all about the grip and grin. It, 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 uh, it comes down to I just need my picture with a big animal so I can be somebody. I, you know, I don't remember if you and I were talking about it, but I remember as a, as a kid in college, um, going hunting with guys and, and there was a guy that literally, you know, he, he just, he would just get a bullet in him. That's it. his philosophy was either get an arrow in him or get a bullet. In it doesn't matter. Just hit him, and then track him and follow up and just keep, keep shooting until they stop moving. And he wounded animal after animal after animal. And, you know, he'd come back to, back to the dorm room. He like, Hey, I, I hit a deer. I need help, you know, tracking it. And, you know, the first time you're like, all right, cool, let's go. And we all go not, don't find the animal, there's no blood trail, and so a couple days later, hey, I hit an animal, uh, help me track it, and we start going, well, wait a minute, okay, well, we'll go help you this time, well, that's all he would ever do, and so, but all he ever wanted to do was just, I just need to get it, you know, get a picture, well, he was shunned, I mean, nobody would ever go with him, share information with him, we just, he was the most unethical, just crap hunter, that nobody wanted anything to do with him. Well, the problem is we knew the back story. We knew the, quote-unquote, the behind-the-scenes of when he finally did kill a deer. It was a good one. We knew that there was five dead deer to that one, one, one animal. Well, the problem is with social media these days that we don't know. I mean, I've, I don't know how many pictures I've seen where you look at the bull. The bull has his eyeball plucked out by ravens, it's bloated, its legs are sticking out, but yet here he is with, you know, the, the guy's got a picture with, with the antlers, and he's like, you know, and he's got 687 likes on, you know, his picture. Oh, awesome bull, big bull, but wait a minute. You obviously yeah. lost every ounce of meat on that animal. Obviously, you made a bad shot, or what? It doesn't matter. We, we, see, we see the grip and grin. We see the picture, and they're a hero because they shot a big animal. And I think that's where some some of these people start getting lost in that. And they're just like, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go, I got to get mine. And the other flip side of that, though, is, you know, it takes, what, 15, 20 years of putting in to draw Unit 9 and some of these other premium tags. So there is a, a pressure that I think people feel that. That they say I've you know I'm going to get mine, dang it! Because I've put in for 15 years, I've put in for 20 years, and this is my this is this is my year. I've got to make something happen.
0: Well, yeah. Well, and I think on the flip side of that though, Chris, is you know they don't need to screw up someone else that's waited 15 or 20 years for the same tax. I
1: agree. I agree. I agree. I'm just saying that's probably the mentality that's going into it. But but it, I really do think it is. And it's it's general society today where it's just you know consideration for other people is not necessarily high on anybody's list of priorities. So anyway, we sound like we're, we're sitting here complaining constantly, but I mean, it is something that we noticed very, very starkly. And I think it really did hurt a lot of people in being able to capitalize on some of the upper end bowls that were available for people to have.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, just coming off the season of 30 days, you know, we're both pretty raw because we just, it just, it's just like we just saw, you know, the battle was just fought and you ask us our, you know, our recap and it's, it's pretty raw. Yeah. It's pretty, you know, the emotions are raw and it's like right there. Uh, you know, I had a great time hunting with Vince. Uh, Vince was able to harvest his 33rd bull. Uh, that's crazy. And, I mean, you, you know, you think about that three,
1: I have I, I've killed a good number of bulls, but I, I mean, obviously I got a late start in life, uh, elk hunting, but my gosh, when you start thinking about that, he killed his 33rd bull. Who was it that we were sitting in camp and all of a sudden you got a text that said they killed their 50th bull before they were 50.
0: Yeah. So my friend, Michael Park, um, oh gosh. had, had shot, I believe with me in 09 was his 42nd elk with a bow. And he just, he, he, he made a goal that he wanted to kill 50 by 50. And, you know, he accomplished that goal. We got the text that he had accomplished his 50 by 50 and, you know, That's crazy. Uh, our, our mutual friend, Casey Brooks, I think has 65 and, you know, he's only 50 years old or 51 or two years old. Um, as well, and, you know, but I, 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 it was very refreshing hunting with Vince, um, because, uh, you know, when he shot his bull, um, so the evening, the 12th evening of the hunt, um, we had gone out, and it was like 5.30, we hadn't heard much, um, and we heard a bull, and and we call, I nicknamed him the night before the wolf, because he was, this is how his bugle sounded, and I'll play a clip for you guys, Um, I'll pull it off here and edit it in, but. So the bugle was just like this sound like a wolf sound like a wolf and uh, I said, that's wolfy and he said, yeah he says uh let's let's go see what he is so you know having no idea if he's big little or whatever, you know we hear that bull and he's kind of on the move um, he's Quite a ways out there as it is, and so we're moving, 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 trying to catch up with him. And he's moving, and he, he kind of joins in, and uh, some smaller bulls start bugling. And um, so anyway, the 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 woofy bull was kind of out on the outskirts, and I told Vince, I said, "I'm going to stay here and keep him bugling. You slip in there and you know see what he is." So I'm messing, kind of just keeping the whole group calling, and these two smaller bulls come in, and I kind of have a cool interaction with them, and. I can tell the Wolf Bowl is, you know, Wolfie's bugling and carrying on. And I know Vince is in there pretty tight to him. And um, as soon as the two bulls kind of moved off, I kind of moved right towards Wolfie to kind of put a little bit of pressure thinking that if he thought we were coming to him, that he might, you know, close the distance. And apparently he was about a hundred yards from Vince and he was up on this ridge bugling like crazy, and he just turned. When I started moving closer, he turned and just ran right at Vince and came into eight yards, and Vince drew back, and the bull kind of wheeled, and Vince just pinwheeled him. But, um, you, you know, what was cool about that hunt is is when I came up to Vince and was said, you know, how good a bull? What's He says, that was the 40th six-point bull that I had in bow range. And, Chris, it kind of floored me Yeah. because – 40 seems like a big number of course you know that was the 12th day of the hunt but it kind of floored me that you know here I am going through this hunt and honestly frustrated and kind of struggling mentally because we hadn't really gotten on the quality of bulls that I wanted to get on and then your my hunter says that was the 40th six-point bull I've had in bow range I counted and I'm sitting there thinking who am I to measure the success of a hunt yeah. over a number? Yeah. Well, and, and 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 have the calling and interaction that we had and some of the great encounters that we had and you know, Vince's buddy almost getting, you know, gored by a bull, which the videos on my Instagram, uh holding the decoy and having a bull just go crazy. And you know, so you know, it really floored me when he said that because it was like 46 point bulls inside a bow range and here I've been I haven't found one over 370 and you know somewhat not bummed out but like dang it where you know how come I can't find a good one and it kind of really brought things full circle for me and put things in perspective it's the biggest bull Vince has ever killed you know he's tickled pink with it yeah sure he you know the first morning that same morning when the two trucks came by he passed Probably the biggest bull of the hunt that, that he had a chance to pass was a 360 bull first morning within 15 minutes of opening light. It wasn't the bull that I had seen that we were going after. I saw one that was around 370, but you know he could have been done the first morning, and yeah, he's got a 360 bull, or he kills one on the 12th evening, and he had 46-point bull. That's not even counting the small bull encounters. Yeah. But he had 46 points inside a bow range. Well, and it doesn't,
1: and the other thing, too, is that you're not telling is is just how epic that whole day was. You know, when we started out that morning, you know, that's, we, we had a, just an incredible, I mean, just an incredible, he spotted a bull that he thought was a giant. And you, you didn't have a chance to, to confirm it. I didn't see it, but. You know, he, he's like, I
0: was on the other side of the ridge, and he thought he saw a good bull with with good backs. And, yeah. You know, so I got over to him, and he's like, "Jay, it went into this thicket, and it has not come out." I said, "Are you sure?" He says, "It has not come out." And so I just put my binos on it, and just, I mean, glued to that thicket. And then, you know, you you met up with Vince. I was able to get a hold of you, and you and Vince met up and went over there, and you called that bull right in. Turns out it wasn't as big as. Ben thought, but it was bigger, you know, it, it was an, it was a nice six point bull that came right in and he's got great video of it with his iPhone at, you know, 10 yards. Yeah.
1: Well, and then, so we leave that one, we're headed back to the truck and, you know, and this is, and this is where you and I, I, I don't say we're different, but I just love going in going in after bulls and just weaseling them out, you know? And so in some of this terrain, you just can't, it's hard to get eyes on them because of the way that the vegetation and the pinion junipers are and everything. And I knew where there was what I thought, I mean, you just, again, you cannot judge a bull by his bugle, but this one bull was always in this one area. He had a real deep growl voice. I've never laid eyes on him. And so we, you know, we can either head back
0: to camp or, it's like ten thirty, right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like eighty degrees, ten thirty and Chris is like Let's go. I've been hearing some bulls over here. Let's go dive into this pocket and Vince and I look at each other like Okay, here we go.
1: Yeah, I mean, normally, <laughs> you know, you go out and you do your morning hunt and then you know, we we're up at three o'clock in the morning, every morning, and we're out by four and then we're out early in the so I mean you, when you talk about midday naps, my gosh, those midday naps are important because we're not getting to bed until like nine thirty, ten o'clock. So you don't get a lot of sleep. And so, you know, this point you're like, all right, let's head back to camp. And I'm like, you know what? We've got to drive right by these guys. I you know, I was up here in the morning, and there was a bunch of bugling down. I said, Let's just go. And so, yeah, like from ten until noon, we dive into the the pinion juniper and how many bulls did we call in? Like five, just six them. or so? I don't just a meatball of bulls. It was awesome. Um, and, and, and so many of them were point-blank range, and they were, all, you know, I mean, they were all great bulls, all six-by-sixes. Or there was a one big five-by-five, five, he said. But, I mean, it was just an epic, epic day. And then to cap it off that night with an experience like that, it's like, yeah, exactly. What are you going for? Are you going there simply because you want inches? you you have to have an X number amount of inches of bone on an animal's head, or are you putting in for 15 years or 17 years or 20 years or whatever to have an experience like you've never had before? Where, in Vince's case, you've got 40 6x6 six six bulls. And when we say 6 by 6 bulls, we're not talking about 260 class 6 by 6s We're talking you know, you're talking your 320 to 350 bulls, you're, you're talking 40 six by six bulls in 12 days.
0: It's crazy. Yeah, it, it's, it is awesome. And I think it's as much as I can sit here and be raw after the hunt and complain about the hunt and complain about you know, human interaction and other hunters and just some of the things that people think about when they're doing some crazy stuff. And not that I haven't done crazy stuff before and screwed somebody else up, but I dang sure don't do it on purpose. But you, you, you realize how good Arizona really is. And I think that's one of the things that also grounded me is, you know, Vince said some of the bugling interaction and some of the encounters that some of the best he's ever had. And, and he's like, I still can't believe how many elk are here. And I think, you know having hunted in Arizona as long as i have i think it's easy to get jaded and it's easy to 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 not realize how good it actually is and how good to go out every single morning and every single evening and have good interactions and good call ins and you know it it it's hard to beat and i think i think you know i i need to eat a little of that uh, humble pie a little bit and realize that you know Arizona still With all the stuff that we've discussed, it's still pretty darn good. Um, Chris, let's take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors again. Guys, I want to tell you about one of the sponsors of this podcast. Deadeyeoutfitters.com is a lifestyle hunting apparel company for hunters by hunters. Check out episode 45 of this podcast with one of the owners and you'll see what I mean. Deadeye Outfitters makes quality t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hats designed with hunters in mind. Deadeye Outfitters has the only license for creating Boone and Crockett apparel. Use the J. Scott promo code and receive a 10% discount on all purchases at DeadeyeOutfitters.com. Chris, one of the things um, I did a little, well, way more this year than I ever have, is I actually carried my bugle, which is crazy for me. And I actually bugled in quite a few situations and had several situations where if I would not have bugled, it would not have called the bull in one particular situation was um, worked in on these frenzied up elk and got in there pretty tight and cow calling the bull was very interested and in bugling and and you know the cows started answering back I was used I pretty much all season I used the um, Steve Chappell's uh, trophy wife external read call and um, of course my hunter specialty infinity latex I like the single latex as my diaphragm but several times got in there pretty tight. And this one time got in close and the cows, calves were answering and closing the distance and coming in. And once they, I kind of got their attention and they, you know, we're talking, they were probably 50 yards, 40, 50 yards from us. The bull was on the backside of them. Once they started coming to me, when they got pretty close to vents, I just bugled. And I'm not kidding you. That bull just came unglued and came right to me. I mean, the video is not great because he's right on the other side of this little oak thicket, literally five, you know, five to seven yards from me. But he came, Vince said, as soon as you bugled Jay, because Vince had a great visual of the whole herd, I was back a little bit. That bull came right to me. I mean, not like left or right, like right to me, right on the other side of the oak thicket and was just bugling straight into me. And you know, I used that bugle way more this year than I ever had, um, and it worked really, really well.
1: Well, and I I'm looking at the time right
0: now, but I don't know if, if we have time to talk about it now. But
1: I was going to say one of the things that we probably should talk about, and obviously these next few years will will really tell. But that is what you're talking about right now. Using a bugle is something that normally in previous years is not something that, that generally is very effective in, in this area. You know, it used to be that you could bugle and it wouldn't matter. They, they might bugle back at you, but they're not going to come into a bugle. They, I mean, cow calls are, are where it's at. And I think for the large part, it still is, but I did notice this year as well, that bulls were spart- starting to, to respond and actually come in and investigate bugles where in the past, they don't. However, we also talked about the fact that there. it seems, out me being a layman just outside looking in and new to the Unit 9, it seems that there are some changes in maybe the age class structure of the bulls and, and how they're splitting the cows up and maybe even the number of cows that are in the unit. There's changes going on in that unit to where it will be interesting to see how our tactics need to change along with that in order to be successful. And I, and I think that'd be, it'd be interesting to know your take on what you saw. I mean, the, the changes that you saw in that, in that area, because the other thing too, that I saw, I had the, the opportunity to go with a number of different people, um, out there this year or, and just observe other people. And I think a lot of guys are used to quote unquote, the old unit nine, where there's always a bugling frenzy. You always can find a bull, you can always stalk in, get close, make a couple calls and boom, uh, an elk runs you over. Well, there was a couple of mornings there where no, that's not the issue. Or there are not even a couple. There was a lot of those mornings. No, that's not the issue. You've actually got to, you have to go in there and work it and make something happen. And I think there were some people that just didn't know how to, how to, just didn't know how to deal with that. You know, me coming from Colorado where we are that almost every single year where you've got to come in and just absolutely weasel something out and and make something happen. So I kind of was – it didn't seem like any difference to me. But there were some guys that I I think didn't know how to handle the changes that maybe are going on in the unit. What's your thought? I mean, from what you saw.
0: Well – First of all, I've got to brag on you a little bit, um, Monty, <laughs> Monty. Our good buddy Monty um, loved Monty to death. Uh, him and his wife Pam have just opened their house up for, for me and, and um, you know, even my friends like you, this take you in, you know, take you in like they're you're one of theirs. But uh, Monty had hunted the first seven days with um, John McClendon, who I've got to say. Has always been just a great friend of mine, and and always treated me with so much respect, and 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 such a great man. Um, so happy that he, he his client was able to harvest that giant bull. But, the the first seven days, Monty hunted with John, and um, then then Monty hunted some with uh, his friend Jeff, and uh, John ended up Levi. It's kind of full circle, but. Levi McClendon was guiding uh, the McClendon's hunter and then Levi had other obligations. So John took over the last seven days and Monty is friends with a bunch of people up there and friends with John. So he hunted with John and hunted with his friend, Jeff. And uh, there was a morning there that uh, Monty was going to be on his own and he sent me a text and said, Hey, can, can Chris come out and play? And I thought that was funny. Uh, Love Monty. And I said, yeah, uh, Chris, Chris would love to go out with you. And so I get a text. I hadn't even talked to you yet. I get a text after I woke up from my nap about two o'clock and it said, I had an unbelievable morning. Call me. So I call Monty and he's like, that was crazy. That was crazy. I said, what? He goes, they ran me over. They ran me over. There were elk everywhere, you know, and, and, you guys went out in the morning and did you have seven bulls that you called in or was it five?
1: No, I think, no, I think there were seven bulls,
0: but the, the thing is I think five of them were like three
1: forty, three fifty 350 bulls. It
0: was, yeah. Yeah. It, and, it, it was a, so I got to brag on you a little bit um, and tell you that, you know, it was great having you in camp. And one of the things that I learned is, you know, I, I, I used the elk, elk module on row hunting resources um but it was also awesome to hear in person the assembly mew i think one of the things that that i think i've been guilty of over the years is i know how to make a bunch of the sounds but i don't really know what i'm saying or i don't really know what they're saying and i thought one of the things that helped me was actually listening to the assembly mew where you you make kind of a long kind of drawn out and then a short response after that. And that's you witnessing cow behavior of a cow saying, come to me now. Yeah. Come here. Yeah. And And I used that a bunch. um, And I think it's helped me. Um, So, you know, my hats off to you one for going out with Monty and having such a great, um, great morning. And then, Actually the last few days you went out with Vince and I and we had some great fun and then the last day we tried to get Monty a bull, and I mean you called that bowl of Monty's in to seven steps, I think, and you know, about ran him over. Yeah, no, and it, it was fun. I mean, the thing about that first day with Monty
1: that I think was different and, and I think why it was such a um it was such a good time for Monty was it was not our your typical quote unquote unit nine morning. Where when we got out there, sure, there was a couple bugles, but they were already moving up the mountain. They were already going to bed. And so whereas, you know, maybe a normal approach would have been like, well, okay, we'll we'll try to call and maybe we call one of them in. What I found myself doing a lot this year, and obviously uh, I will share uh, most of this uh, on the elk module, is... I ended up having to be a little bit more aggressive with my calling than I normally do, um, and and you heard it. I mean, I was doing a lot of lost, I lost mews, but I was doing a lot of wines. I was doing a lot of long mews. I was throwing the assembly mews in there as well. But man, I was just really dragging it out and just really, uh, just being a lot more aggressive with my calling than I normally am, and that is what kind of unlocked on a number of occasions, just kind of, un, just basically just, and I told you this, and I told Monty this, I mean, when we got ready to set up, I said, I'm I'm going to crank the burner on this one. I'm, I'm going to crank this up, and we're going to see what happens, because if I just do my general cow calls, if I do my chirps and my muse, and maybe my lost muse, and do your normal, quote-unquote, cow calling that the average hunter will do, there's no way you're going to call these bulls in. They're going to bugle at you, and they're going to walk to their bed. Gone. Bye-bye. So I told him, I said, number one, we're going to run. And we're and that's something that he's really never done either. I mean, not a lot of. I mean, when I decided, when I said, we need to go, we need to go now. And I took off running. He kind of looked at me like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. And so we took off. And, and there were several times we were running. And then there were a number of times where I was just putting the wood to it and just being very aggressive with my calling. And that is what kind of just, just, Help them come unglued into where we just put bowl after bowl after bowl in our laps, so it was a little bit of a difference for me what I normally do down there, but it's something that I normally do in Colorado, but it's again it's something that those guys don't normally experience down there or have to do, so it was kind of new um but then for you to be able to hear it too I mean again that's it's something a little bit more than I normally do, but I'm telling you that assembly mew man it's just deadly I mean it just when a, when a bull is out there and he's interested and he wants to come, and you flat and you just turn around and you say, Come to me. I mean, when, when you watch their body language, when they drop their head, when they're looking at you, looking at you, looking at you, looking at you bugling, 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 and you hit that assembly mew, and you watch them, their shoulders drop, their head drops, and they just, here they come. They just, and they might just give you a couple mews on the way in. They're like, Okay, I'm coming. It's just, yeah. it's
0: awesome. It is awesome stuff. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's amazing. I think I learn stuff every day of the season. And I think I learn over a season, you end up learning so much. And I, I think one of the things that I notice from your style is I, I'm usually pretty passive and I get aggressive at times, but when I'm chasing bulls and a lot of it has to do with a lot of times I'm after a big bull. And I'm after something that I don't want to spook. And so I kind of tippy toe around. Whereas I noticed uh, on the last day, it seemed like more of of, of an approach of just go straight in there, right at them, whether you spook them or not. And I think I can take away from that, that I, I at times am too passive. And I think that comes from chasing at times, a lot of big bulls that I didn't want to blow out and, conversely, I think, you know, you take that like with a turkey hunting mentality that my mentality with the turkey is I'm either going to call it in or I'm going to spook it. One of the two that I'm either going to get so close and call him right in or I'm going to get too close and I'm going to spook him. Um, And if I take that to the elk woods, I think I would I would be even, you know, have more success than I already have. Um, I think at times I'm a little too passive, just trying to stay back, not trying to spook them, as opposed to just, you know, go right at them and get right in there tight on them. Um, and and just, I agree. I, I'm
1: general. And again, I, I am generally that exact same way. And I will say that I ha- I know for a fact that I have not capitalized on opportunities that may have been there because I did not take I did not make take a, a more active uh, approach to the situations, but in this case, in a number of cases, this particular year, and i would stress that this particular year in these particular areas, they would bugle, but they just were not going to come to you. And again, I think that was because we ended up in a situation. Now there were times where you'd have bulls out there by themselves. They were, I mean, they were really, really nice bulls that just had no cows. They were out there by themselves. And so yeah, we can call those bulls in, but in a number of cases, it took a little bit of a more aggressive approach and a little bit more of an aggressive calling style, A, either to get that bull to finally break loose and and come, or what I ended up seeing a couple times is it took a little bit more of aggressive calling style to actually get the entire herd to move your way and actually have all the cows and, and everybody come your way to where that bull finally felt comfortable enough to break in away from his cows, come in to check you out. So, you know, and, and yeah. we talked about this, I think, on a previous episode where, you know, uh, was it last year last year, or the year before you were up in Montana with Jason Hairston, where it it was all bugling. I mean, bugling is what was required in that area. And I think what people really need to take away from some of this is, Elk are elk. Behavior is behavior. Their vocalizations are their vocalizations. But the localized pressure from humans, the localized, uh, the the age class ratio, or the age classes that are are in that herd, the sex ratio, the number of bulls to the number of cows that are in that herd, all the interspecific dynamics of the different populations are going to change how they respond to different calling techniques and tactics. So in, you know, we, you know, I've listened to some of your other podcasts where you're talking about the guys up in the Pacific Northwest where they use bugling a lot and they have to because of the terrain and the environment and the and the population structure that they have up there. Whereas cow calling works, they really rely on the bugling. Whereas in general, normal years, previous years down in Arizona, it was completely the opposite. You might use a bugle, from a distance to get a response to, so you know where to go. But once you work your way in, you lean heavy on the cow calls. And the same thing goes with me in Colorado. Most of the areas that I am in, I will use a bugle to get that initial locate, that, that initial contact to figure out where they are. But then I will sneak in and I will lean heavily on the cow calls. Every area is going to be different. And so if you have a full toolbox of tools and tactics that you can use, and then have the ability to reach in that toolbox and use whichever one you need to, you're going to be a heck of a lot more successful in a variety of different situations. Like you said, you generally in the past would lean heavy on the passive side, one tool set, if you will. I, and, and we all can get ourselves into a rut, no pun intended, on what we feel confident in doing and, and how we call. I normally use what I call a targeted strategy. Lost Muse, Long Muse, Assembly Muse, and Wines mixed in, in there to add that kind of emotion. I know that I naturally fall into that tactic, but that doesn't mean that that tactic is always going to work in every situation. And so I think this year really opened the eyes of a lot of people that say, wait a minute, something is different, something has changed, so now I've got to try something new, I've got to try a different tool to unlock the potential that is in front of me so
0: absolutely you know um before we conclude here i just got to say the steve Chappell trophy wife external um and i have the matriarch too and it, it i think they're both great they're both phenomenal and for years i liked the matriarch but this new trophy wife call um i think it's the best external i've ever blown you know vince was like Jade. Those cows really love that call. And he, he, you know, a lot of times I would let him go up front and then I would be back calling, you know, 40 yards and wouldn't see some of the stuff. But he's like, you would call on that call and the cows, cows, they'd lift their head. And he said they would walk towards you almost all the time. The cows would come to you. And, you know, I just want to thank Steve for making that great call. Um, And I know you like it like uh his calls as well and you know
1: and and i and i know number one let me tell everybody steve doesn't owe me a dime and i don't owe steve a dime i we we are friends and i mean from previous uh working with primos but literally i will admit and i'm embarrassed to admit this that i dismissed those calls for years because I simply looked at them and I said, Well, they're they're just like a hyperlip single. They're like a Primos hyperlip single. It's a wide read, uh the little castration band, blah blah it's a, it's like the hyperlip single. So I dismissed it. That was a huge mistake. I, I, yeah. I just they have a different soundboard. They I mean, and yeah. we talked about it. They they are easier to blow, they take a lot less lip pressure.
0: Way less pressure, and I think that could help a lot of people oh, out, Chris. Not, I think the problem people have had with the externals is you know, having to apply so much pressure on the mylar reed yeah. that at times, if it gets moisture or what have you, you know, it starts squawking. Whereas on the Trophy Wife uh, and the Matriarch, if 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 you don't have to apply near as much pressure, you can make very good soft nasally sounds.
1: The subtle—that's um, the thing that I loved about it—is the 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 ability to make subtle sound. Just, I mean, just sweet subtle sounds is awesome. And I see, I love the trophy wife. I, I loved it. I used it. And I, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but man, I love the matriarch because I could just get the just sweetest so, oh, just sexy, yeah. just sexy sounds. So, and I, I think, I mean, it's up to you, but I, I definitely, I, I think people need to know where they can get those, get those. I mean,
0: yeah, if you go to um, Steve Chapel's website, I believe it's Chapel Hunting Productions, or maybe Chappell, it's chapel Chapel Guideservice dot com. Chapel guide
1: Service is where I went. Chapel Guide Service, C H yeah. A P P E L L.
0: Yeah, and you can go right on there and order it right off his website. Um, we had the fortune, you know, I've known Steve for a long, long time, and we actually used to be partners in in the elk business, and um, you know, it was uh, Chapel and Scott, and um, we had the fortune of having Steve camp right next to us this year. So it was great to see him. I do have to laugh. I came in probably after about the ninth day. And I told Chris, I said, I don't, Vince was laughing at me too, because uh, that morning my call squawked on me a couple of times and I was semi throwing <laughs> a tantrum and throwing the thing going, what the heck's wrong? And Chris looked at it and goes, my word. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, look how dirty that thing is. And I said, Don't mess with it. Don't mess. Don't, you know, because it had blown so well. And he's like, and he rips the castration band off. And I thought my whole world just came unraveled. (laughs) And he said, that sounded kind of funny. If someone just picked up on the podcast, (laughs) Um, he ripped the castration band off of my external read call and said, look at that thing. And it was just covered in dust. So he went over and actually just cleaned it, poured water all over it, put the castration band right back on. And immediately it was blowing really good um, crisp calls. So I would say, guys, make sure your calls clean. I, I've always been so ginger and not wanting to mess with anything, keep everything constant that I would never dare pull the, the band off and, and get it all wet. But, um, as soon as it was clean, it was back to making great sounds. I want to thank you, Chris, for that. And I want to thank you for coming out this year. And I can't wait to see all the video that you capture, uh, for row hunting resources on the elk module and, uh, see some of the lessons, um, Uh, that you're that you're going to put out and um, I know I'm getting ready for the Arizona Super Big Game Raffle uh, Desert Sheep Hunt uh, leave here in a week and um, I've got to get all my food and get everything ready and I kind of shift over now from uh, elk into uh, full sheep mode and uh, got uh, Frank Argo from California Um, and uh, we're looking forward to having a great sheep hunt so I'm kind of transitioning all my gear and stuff, getting ready for uh, more of glassing intensive and and more of the uh, the sheep uh, strategy. And uh, what do you have coming up?
1: Yeah, that's I'm I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm sitting here looking at a pile of gear that I have to go through, put away, and then transition. We've got for us here in Kansas. I mean, it's it's whitetail season, and so I've got we've got a couple of hunters coming in or, or several hunters coming in. Most of them are going to be focusing on that last part of October into November, but I've got to take these next couple of weeks and really get the game cameras going. We talk about game cameras, but I, I need to get game cameras going and tree stands. Put private up and, land. Yeah. Private yeah. This land. this is, this is private ground that I manage uh, for a landowner and, and we run hunts on. And so, um, but yeah, that's what, that's what I'm getting. I mean, from now until literally January 10th is I, we've, yeah, tenth or eleventh, somewhere around there. But beginning of January, from now to beginning of January, my whole world is whitetails. So that's what I'm getting ready for.
0: Awesome, buddy. Well, thanks, and um, look forward to seeing you again. I want to thank you for all your help. And you know, I was able on Monty's bull um, on the very last day of the season. Um, I think I think we did something that people are going to really enjoy. I was able to video you pretty much in the whole boning out process, the gutless method um, of, of Monty's elk. And, um, I look forward to, uh, us sharing that, that video with people and, um, want to give you a chance to, uh, let people know where they can find you on Instagram and, uh, Facebook and obviously on your website. So would you do that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Anybody can get a hold of me. Um, it's just row hunting resources, R O E R-O-E, hunting resources, all one word. And so, yeah, we're on, I'm on Instagram under that, on Facebook under that, and the website is just rowhuntingresources.com, and we have that elk module. It's just all educational videos. It's the largest online educational library, video library, I think ever assembled, and, and we're just constantly making it grow. And all the stuff that I've done this past year, uh, that I've got video footage of will go into that elk module for this next upcoming year, and so and as always, uh, if you guys are listening to the, this podcast, if you guys want to subscribe, uh, we'll do a twenty percent off uh, code for you. So just type in uh, J Scott Podcast and it'll knock twenty percent off of that for you. So
0: yeah, and and so Chris, um, you've got your subscription which covers elk uh deer and turkey is i believe with with the discount is $40 and uh the elk module alone is it $20 yeah with the discount yeah elk module
1: itself is a 3 month subscription and it's 20 bucks and then the annual full access annual subscription it unlocks everything is, is with the discount it'll end up being $40 so
0: yeah and it was nice to have a bunch of people actually uh we ran into in, in unit 9 uh, say oh i'm a i'm a real hunting resources uh subscriber so that was pretty cool to see that you you know you've got a lot of people out there that stop by camp that yeah. that uh have, have found it to be a great resource like i have so yeah um well buddy um thanks for everything and god bless you and i'll be uh, bouncing you some videos uh, back and forth and um keep me posted on how your uh, deer hunts are going we'll definitely do and thank you as always for having me on Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card when signing up for the GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.